The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I'm so excited to have Kelly Carrington. Kelly is a husband to his high school physics partner, father to three manimals. <laughs> I love that. Um, a registered massage therapist for 19 years and a man doula for the last seven years. He lives by the lake out in the middle of nowhere, and he showed this to me just so I could feel jealous, where he spends much of his time with his family, gardens in his greenhouse, makes things out of wood, and loves sleeping in a tent and being in a canoe. Thank you so much for being here, Kelly. No problem. All right. So, of course, how did you get into the whole birth world? Well, I mean, I wish I had some grand story for you, but it's just I've been a massage (laughs) therapist for so long that I would see clients uh, just as massage clients who were pregnant, and then they would uh, be my clients until they were done being pregnant. I treat them through the pregnancy, and then they would go and start their family and then they'd come back and this happened like for some of my clients like three or four times and so then I decided well somebody had suggested to me that I look into becoming a doula and I was like come on like I don't have time for this stuff and so then I looked into it and at the time my wife was on mat leave with our third and the timing sort of worked and as part of being a massage therapist you have to take like continuing education and I had taken a course that was a massage therapist as a birth support person. Oh, cool. And it was like, I don't know, a two-hour course. And at the end of it, she said, okay, so now you can go be a doula. And I was like, meh, I think I need a little <laughs> bit more information. And so then I looked into you know the different organizations, looked into Dona, and there happened to be a course coming up. So I took it. And then, I mean, the rest of it is just history, I guess. Wow, that is awesome. So- yep. Obviously, you are a man in a very traditionally female role. (laughs) Um, And so what kind of, um, I guess, what kind of comments have you had? I mean, obviously, you were the only um, guy in your training. But what what were some of the things that people said at the very beginning? I mean, now it's just Kelly is Kelly. And but in the beginning, what were people saying? Uh. Like most of my friends think I'm crazy anyway, because I'm a massage therapist and now Medulla, and they're like, whatever, that's just Kelly. But in the like <laughs> community, um, I think it was more just in, in terms of most people knew who I was anyway. And then when I took the training and was around long enough, they were like, okay, he's actually legit. Mm-hmm. Um, the first couple of times when I went to the hospital with a family, the nurses would kind of look and be like, okay. You bring your cousin with you. <laughs> Is this like a who's the dad situation or whatever? Um, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm the doula. And then they're just like, okay, because they'd never seen a this yeah. before. Um, <laughs> but like now, it's no big deal at all. They know who I am, and it's great. Awesome. So, um, what do you, what do you think are your advantages to being a male? I'm in, and obviously this is recorded. You can't see him, but he's big, burly, tough strong so 
what are some of the advantages that, <laughs> that you have? Uh, honestly, I don't. I mean, I think the advantage is more my attitude. I mean, Ooh. the fact that I'm a big black man is not a bad thing. But um, I think that the fact that I am a massage therapist first, right? So I know how the body works. That's a big advantage. I think more it's my attitude that might be the advantage mm, than that is the physicality of it. Now, that definitely comes in handy, being able to lift a woman in labor in and out of something or out of the way or whatever. But Yeah. So do you feel like because you're so big and strong that you can replace the partner even more than a female doula would? No, I am not there to replace anybody. I am just there to add to the team. And I tell my families that. I'm like, look, I'm not here to do your job because your job is to support your person. I'm here to help you do that. And I'm also here to support you. Uh, I'm not there to replace anybody, right? And right. I don't go into a doula relationship or sign a contract unless both parties are on board. Yeah, because sometimes um, sometimes the partner feels like the doula will come in and just take away their role. Like they, nope. they won't. No, nope. and I may even if the partner is looking for that, I tell them straight up, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I'm not here to do all the work. You are in there with me. Let's go. Mm. And I set that expectation right from the get-go. That's a good point. So uh, from your outside perspective, again, coming into this as a traditional in, in a non-traditional role, what do you what are some of the awesome things you see about the birth world and some of the just super irritating things? Uh, a friend of mine said when I started this that it's a good idea that I'm being a doula because she said to me that I'm not another vagina in the room uh, competing for attention. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and I say this because um, some doulas take their own birth experience into the room, it'd be hard not to, yeah. of another family, and they sometimes let that influence how they deal with that family specifically. Interesting. Whereas I've never had a baby. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know any of those things. So that I don't have to even think about that. All I have to think about is the task at hand. Mm. Right? I think that's a little bit of an advantage. Mm-hmm. No, um, definitely. But I also think it's a huge disadvantage because I can never tell a mom who's in labor, I know how you feel. Yeah. Right? I just can't. Yeah. Um, that does not answer your question. That answers your previous question, maybe. Yeah, that's um, true. Well, I just know, like, I'm just thinking, it's so hard to move in, in labor. It's just so hard to want to move. And to have, you know, my partner and my doula be able to just move me, that, that sounds amazing. So oh, yeah. And while I, yeah. you can't tell her you know how she feels, you can see <laughs> what she's going through and you can, you can help her. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So next question. The, what, what are some of the great things you see in the birth industry right now? Uh, I see that a lot of families are more informed about the process and they're not just signing up to be patients. So do um, you also teach childbirth education or just doula? No, no. I do prenatal education with all of my clients for sure. Yeah. And uh, I find that the more informed people are, the better the outcome is going to be. So I find that people are really interested in finding out as much as they can 
of good information, not the bullshit that you look up on Google. Yeah, but please like don't Google real, anything. No, no. <laughs> When you get um, pregnant, just turn off Google. <laughs> right. And really, and my clients know, like, don't Google, just call Kelly. Like, that's the way that uh, it's set up. Um, but I like it when people come informed because it means that they at least have some sense of what the process is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have also noticed that a lot of people are also looking for not just going into the hospital, being a patient and having their baby. They want to go in and they want to do it as much their way as they can so that the outcome is more predictable in terms of how happy they are about the process. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not just going in and just bowing down to the medical system and saying, yes, just do whatever you have to do and get this baby out. They want actually to have an informed input into the process and have more control over how things go. So how are, um, how are hospitals treating doulas in your area with the COVID issue? Well, we have one hospital in Halifax where I am. It's the IWK. It's a very big maternity hospital here. It's the only one, really. Um, And we were not allowed in until June. And so, thankfully, I had no moms that were due during the time that they locked out. They only had one partner that were allowed, like the partner was allowed in. Um, but then June came and I had three babies like bang, bang, bang. It's almost like <laughs> they my were, mom's just, were waiting. just waiting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and now it is just partner and one birth support person. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is for now. Anyway, our cases are pretty low here, so we're pretty lucky. So I don't, I hope it stays that way. Yeah. Now they still have to get clearance. Like let's say that it ends in a C-section. They still have to get clearance from anesthesia to make sure that it's okay that I'm coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had two C-sections in the last, since the COVID thing and it's been fine. So. And they allow you in the room with her when she's having a C-section. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. All right. So what are some of the things that you see that we could improve on? In the industry, how much time do you have? I know that's what I was gonna say. We have the rest of the podcast. Let's oh my ready, set, go. I just, I again, I love your perspective because yes, while we have male OBs um, and a, and a few male midwives I know of, um, it's just so rare, and I really appreciate the outside perspective. I think that they're okay. Let's just because we just mentioned C-section at our hospital here. When you walk into the OR. The table is directly in front of you. And so when you walk in, the first thing you see is either a woman's feet or her vagina. So like, why can't we just turn the table 90 degrees (laughs) so that, because she's, if you are in the OR as a family, you're already freaking out. So like, can't we just turn it 90 degrees? So the first thing, like give her a little bit of dignity, like, come on. Yeah. Anyway. That's one thing that drives me crazy. And it's just, it's just a turn. Yeah. Just uh, these small things that make, that humanize the patient. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the other thing is like, I get that families, whether in hospital, like they have to be checked, right? There's guidelines to how much they have to be checked, but we could probably, if the family's doing okay, we could probably just let them be because yeah. they have to learn how to do these things on their own. Right. And so I get that the temperature has to be checked and baby has to be checked and the latch has to be checked. 
and all of those things, but we could probably get by if we just did a little bit more family led than just this is the boxes that we have to check. Yeah. Do you guys still have a nursery there or have they gone to in room? Oh no, it's all in room. In room, good. Yeah, it's yeah. all in room. I know that's switched even since I've had my last babies, and that's that's I think a really cool switch. Yeah. My mom's like, now why would you want your baby in your room with you? You want to rest. And I'm like, well, it's different now. <laughs> it's yeah, there is no rest. Mm-hmm. There is no rest. Well, she's like, you know, take advantage of the rest because you get home and you'll have no rest. But I felt like I was um, starting backwards once I got home because the last two days I'd had too, almost too much help, like you're saying. Right. I didn't even know. I know the first time that um, the meconium uh, diaper came. I was like, I asked the nurse to change because I didn't know what that was. I didn't even know meconium was the thing. And she's like, well, I'll change it this one time, but then you have to learn. But then she just changed it without me seeing. I don't know. Anyway, you're right. We need to learn how to do things ourselves. But how did but, you not know that there was going to be a mech poop? Um, that, I also didn't know that I'd have to birth a placenta. There were a lot of things missing in my education the first time I had a baby. <laughs> uh, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm that abnormal. Because <laughs> those are the things like, those are the basics. Those are the basic things I tell people like right off the bat. Yeah. No, I had like, no idea. In my prenatal, when I talk to my clients, it's hilarious to watch specifically the moms when I'm explaining like baby and cervix and all of the things in uterus and where your placenta is. They're just blow. Like, I don't understand how these are your parts. You should know what they do. <laughs> Don't even get me started on that. How much time do we have? But I mean, I should not be the one telling you how your cervix works. Like, come on. Um, I don't think I learned that until I was pregnant with my second. I didn't. Really okay. Understand. Yep. <laughs> and I did take a prenatal class with the first. And I don't know what where I was. Maybe I just didn't have anything to stick it to. <laughs> I don't know. But I didn't know. I don't know, but I think the problem is that we expect that prenatal class, that childbirth education class to teach everything, but we're not teaching through their entire childhood and, and their teenage No, and but they're also not te- – I, I personally think that they're not teaching the things that they need to know. They're just teaching them sometimes how to be a good patient. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there's a thousand other things that these families need to know that will help inform them. It's not that they have to remember like baby station and the – turn and all that other stuff the baby but if they know it mm-hmm. it's in the back of their mind if you know better you're going to do better so why not give them the information that they really i feel should have yeah with no bullshit just the straight what's what so what are it, some of those like major what's what's that really help <laughs> those oh like you know at the end of your pregnancy uh you're gonna probably find a mucus plug and the number one question I get is, well, what does it look like? Well, it looks like a giant loogie, right? <laughs> like they have to know kind of what it looks like so that, because I get text pictures on my phone. Oh, that's great. That's And great. it's just like, but there's no precursor. I just look at my phone and it's like, oh, okay, that's a mucus plug. Um, <laughs> but they know what they're looking for, mm-hmm. right? They also have to realize that like your baby is inside your uterus and that baby has to come out and that cervix has to open up so the baby can come out that but they don't it's hard to conceptualize so i do a balloon 
Yeah. A, a ping pong bong, ball inside the balloon. Mm-hmm. And I get the partner to birth the baby, which is the ping pong ball. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I've never seen this, but I can imagine it. So you take a, I have red balloons and they blow them up about that big. And I put, uh, I either put a ping pong ball inside and then the partner blows it up to about this big. So that's the uterus, baby's on the inside. Mm-hmm. And so we push the ball down so it stops the air from coming out. Mm-hmm. So then you have your uterus, your baby, and then you have a cervix at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I talk to them all about contractions have to be longer, stronger, and closer together. So then I'm like, okay, birth your baby. And we continue talking and doing our prenatal. And so the partner's over there just like trying to squeeze this balloon and do all the things. I said, no, no, longer, stronger, and closer together. And then they slow it down. And then they're like, man, my arms are getting sore. And they're like, I'm like, <laughs> tough. And anyway, eventually that baby comes out. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what birth basically is. And the best part about that exercise is the mom's reaction. Sometimes it's quite supportive, but other times it's like, what's taking so long? Like, can you hurry up? <sighs> and I say to her, I'm like, so when you're in labor, do you want us to talk to you like that? I don't think so. Right? And it gets them in the mind mm-hmm. frame of being supportive of each other, no matter how long it's taken, no matter what's going on, they're in it together as a team. Yeah. And that, that helps the partner, to, well, the mom as well, but it helps the partner know exactly physiologically what's going on. So mm-hmm. you can be more, much more patient with the process when you understand it, I feel. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, surprising thing I learned even after four babies, well, I always wondered, I'm like, my baby's head is bigger than a 10, 10 centimeters. So why is 10 centimeters the magic number? The cervix has got to get bigger than 10 centimeters. Uh, yeah. But I felt like I couldn't dare ask that because like the 10 was such a sacred number that you couldn't even push it a nine. If you pushed it a nine, you'd tear your cervix. And, and I always wondered <laughs> I mean, about that. Your body will find a way to get that baby out. Right. Right. And if it can't, look, there's two types of babies. There's sunroof babies and there's south end babies. That's the only two ways those babies are coming out, right? And your body will find a way. And if it can't, well, then it's a sunroof baby. That's, you know. Sunroof baby. That's cute. And thank goodness for sunroof doctors, right? Uh Uh-huh. That's awesome. So um, what um, we talked before recording about a little bit about like gaslighting, about how this whole process is so foreign to us because we haven't been taught growing up about our bodies. We haven't been taught about the birth process. Most women going into birth nowadays have never actually seen a birth other than Google or YouTube, and that's a bad idea. But they've yeah. never been to an actual birth to feel the, the hormones and see, see the whole process. And so we feel like grossly underprepared. And then we, we spend our, the entire labor or pregnancy questioning our choices like oh yeah do we do we do this do we do that um how (laughs) but the doctor said i should do this but i feel this and we spend the entire time just like messing with our own heads i know all the time i wish that i could take some of my clients with me to some of my births so i've had a pretty 
uh, wide range of from uh, low to no uh, intervention medically, home birth, just straight up scheduled C-sections, like the whole gamut. And I'd like, it would be great if I could take my clients with me to a birth so that they could actually experience what it's like to be in yeah. the room. So then they can have that in the back of their head and be like, okay, so this is normal. Because the biggest thing is that when we're in like active labor and shit's getting real, the partner's always looking at me like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I just look at them and be like, we're good, man. This is all, this is all good. Mm-hmm. That sound is great. The sound that she's making is perfect. Everything's good. Like it's all under the realm of normal. So do you find that your clients kind of just rely on you to like, you know, um, they borrow your faith that it'll all be good a little bit more? I I think so. Right. I think so. But I mean, I'm not a doctor. Right. right? So I'm not making medical decisions. It's more about the way that um, mom is usually acting, sounding, feeling. Mm -hmm. She's never done that before. Right. And they want to make sure that it's okay. And I'm like, we're good, man. This is, this so is all good. Describe the entire process. I'm just, I'm just curious to hear what words you used the, um, from early labor to the golden hour. Describe oh, like how it, how it goes, like how I tell my clients. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I usually tell them, okay, so in the beginning, you're going to start getting contractions. Now you may lose your mucus plug or your water may break. Or you might start getting contractions without of those things. But one of those things has to happen, right? And if you lose your mucus plug, don't freak out. Because if you don't have contractions, it, it just means that there's a positive change in cervical dilation. It means That's you won't be means. pregnant forever. That's all it means. Right, right. <laughs> and so I tell them all about that early. So in early labor, I always tell them like, okay, so you're going to probably get some cramping, maybe a little bit of mucus plug or maybe your water might break but if you don't have contractions and even if you do they're going to be there Mm -hmm. but you're not in active labor so you just need to stay put and as long as you're feeling fine and there's no other medical issue that is going to take you to the hospital just continue with your day and then i said when you start to think oh shit this is getting real you can call me but it's probably not yeah. If it's your first baby, it's probably not. Let's just let's just say that again. It's probably not. It's probably <laughs> but not. But don't get discouraged. No. Even though because, it's probably not. <laughs> right. I mean, you can you'll have all the contractions, <laughs> but you'll still be able to be distracted, right? Yep. And you'll still be because I always get the phone call. I think it's time and I'm like, "Okay, can I talk to her, please?" And so I get on the phone with her. And she's like, yeah, so we had groceries. We got groceries today. We made a bunch of meals. Oh, I'm having a contraction right now. And then my mom came over. I'm like, okay, call me back in two hours. <laughs> or 20. <laughs> or 20. Because you have to be ready for those contractions to be like, okay, I cannot do yep. anything but focus all on those. And then we're in active labor. Then. I then always wondered. Starts. It was the craziest thing because my first, I had so many interventions and I had him without medication, but there were so many interventions. I'm not sure where early, cute little Braxton Hicksie uh, contractions turned into real ones. Then my second was induced. My third, I woke up basically in transition. I know yeah. that sounds dreamy, but 
um, I woke up in the transition zone. The fourth, I was like, I, this is my fourth baby. And I literally don't know what labor feels like. I was like yeah. so worried <clears throat> about when those little Braxton Hicksies, cause some of those, they, they take your breath away. The yeah. Braxton Hicksies, like, but when do they become real, real, real contractions? And I yeah. felt like the shift, I felt they were Braxton Hicks and they were like, they, they were pressure waves, but they weren't like doing anything productive until like two in the morning and between one and the next one, I was like, whoa, that one was a real one. So yeah. and if the you're thing listening is, and you're wondering. You can't really tell until it's there. Yep. And I tell clients all the time, like, it's not like I'm giving you a box of contractions. Like I would <laughs> give you a box of a box of friggin' tarantulas and say, here, deal with this. Right? <laughs> you got one contraction. It's going to come. You got to deal with it. You got to move on. Yeah. You know, you know, his prick twin brother is coming, but you have to deal with the one that's in front of you. And then it's over. And we don't have to do that one again. It always surprised me. Every single time I had a baby, it surprised me how you could have absolutely nothing between them. Like no residual. I mean, near the end, everything's kind of tense. But yeah. in the yeah. beginning, absolutely no residual in the middle. It's like everything is back to normal. And then you'd get hit again and you just work through that one, climb yeah. up the peak, walk down the peak. Yeah. Well, because it's a physiological process that is downloaded into all females. Mm-hmm. It just never had to run before. Yeah. Right. Well, the but first I time, had, I've heard that labor is more, or uh, having a, a burst eardrum is more painful than labor. And I was always afraid of labor because I'd had a burst eardrum and I know what that feels like. And it's pretty much the almost awful thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but labor is not a burst eardrum because you get those waves and the, mm-hmm. that completes quiet between each wave. Whereas an eardrum, you're just down for the count yeah, for two yeah. days. And I mean, you also have to allow your body to do all of the things, right? You got to wait for that hormone engine to start getting warm and revving so that it can change your perception of how things are going. And you have to just give it time. I tell my clients, it's going to hurt. It's going to take a long ass time. Like You are super encouraging. You just don't, you just don't sugarcoat it at all. Well, there's no point in me uh, leading them get down the garden path because that is what happens in society anyway. Because in society, yep. you see the picture or the the montage on a movie of water breaks at the grocery store. She is screaming and hollering. She's wheeled into the hospital. She hates her partner. And then she has two pushes and she's hot and sweaty and angry. And then there's a baby. Yeah. Which I is like... That. A minute and a half, right? Which is really all of that, especially the anger part. Is like that's transition. Mm-hmm. It's not the entire. And actually, part. I don't see the anger. Have I ever seen anger like that? I've never seen somebody's mad at their partner. Sometimes they're like, "Don't touch me," but they would say that to the doula or the midwife. But I don't. I don't see that. I don't get part. a lot of anger. I mm-hmm. just get a lot of moms. Uh, if they've been laboring like beautifully the entire time and totally handling it, mm-hmm. when they start to say, I am done, I can't do this anymore, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore, you know, when they start all that self doubt, then I'm like, okay, maybe we're getting a little closer to transition. <laughs> and then when they start puking, I'm like, okay, maybe we're okay, maybe we're all there. Or if they're just straight up, I'm like, I am done get my coat. I'm want to leave. I want to go home. I want to, I'm finished. I'm like, 
no, no, we're almost there. You're not leaving anywhere. And they all believe literally that we could just like, we're doing this. We could make it stop and they could just walk right. out of here and stay pregnant. Never mind. Yeah. I'll just stay pregnant. I didn't yeah. sign up for this. It's good. Sorry. I complained make... about being pregnant. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. It's funny to me sometimes. And I, I do have to sometimes use my dad voice, <laughs> uh, but I warn them in advance in the prenatal. I'm like, look, there may be a time when you are off the rails a little bit, but that means that your hormone engine is just redlining, right? Yep. And everything is like full dilation. Your hormones are going off the charts and you might start thinking a little irrationally and I may have to just ground you a little bit. And it I may require <laughs> a little uh, sternness. Uh-huh. Oh, and, yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes when they talk to me in that time, I look at them and I'm like, no, we're doing this now. Come on, snap out of it. Let's go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you could do that. You could do that. You're, yeah. Well, my wife always asks, like, she says sometimes, like, man, like, you're kind of an asshole sometimes to the way I hear you talk to your clients. I'm like, listen, they hired me, they knew what they were getting. I know. I just keep thinking, is this a gender thing or a Kelly thing? And I just think, oh, I'm pretty sure it's Kelly thing. I'm pretty sure it's a Kelly thing because I'm pretty sure there are, there could be, especially you leading the way, male doulas that are more gentle. And I have seen doulas, like you're saying, use the dad voice. Oh, they've used the mom voice. Uh uh, girlfriend, you get back in the ring. We ain't done with this yet. (laughs) Now, listen, I can, I am also, I can be, very empathetic and very caring and all oh, so of you're not all, all you're not all, all the yeah okay got it no i'm still you know <laughs> putting her hair up in a ponytail if it needs to be or wiping her face in between with white face claws and doing all of those things but there is a time when i need to lay the hammer down yep yep and especially in like that transition between like let's say late to or late like early labor but before it really gets to active and when things are sort of starting to peter out a little bit i'm mm-hmm. like okay and i warn them beforehand i'm like all right we're gonna move and that means that we're going for a walk mm-hmm. and if the weather's not good that so means we're mean. gonna go up and down the stairs so mean and listen <laughs> they i i forewarn them i tell them and there's been a couple times there's one time in particular i'm thinking about right now i was their doula once made her walk and then they hired me again for their second baby, and we were at the house, and I just looked at her. And, and she, she said, okay, was okay, like, okay, I'll walk. She was like, uh, I'll get my shoes. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> she knew that. She knew, right? But you, yeah. you got to move. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, because I've seen that transition or these things, uh, when the birth support people can see what the mom needs and she can't see it. Um Sometimes they've used tenderness and compassion and empathy, and sometimes they get right down in their faces like you're talking about. And I think that both ways work really, really well, no matter what your birth. If you pick the right birth team, they'll they'll be able to pull the right tools in at the right moment. So that's right. I, I know that with my first, the midwife I had chosen, she couldn't yell over my screaming. And so the big, the, the other midwife came in and she got in my face and I didn't know her. She wasn't one I'd visited with. And she got, and she's like, stop yelling and get this baby out. And, and I remember like, not that that was what I needed 
or wanted, but it's what I needed. Well, and it is like we, I say this all the time. I meet people where they are and mm-hmm. help them get them, help get them through. Right. Yeah. And I meet these people. I try to get to know them as quick and fast as we can. We have to be fast friends, super quick. And when it comes down to labor and delivery, we got to be all on the same page. Yeah. And you get to sort of through talking to people, you get to know what is going to motivate them and what is not going to motivate them. A lot of my clients will say like straight up, I do not like cheering. Mm, and I'm like, good. Cause I'm not a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you straight up, like, this is what you have to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just meet people where they are to help get them where they need to be. That's what a doula should be. Yeah. So uh, we talk about the birth being a transition between obviously into motherhood and then subsequent births in more, you know, every birth is just transformational. And mm-hmm. so what do you, what do you think um, are the most trans transformational parts about the birth? Um, sorry. What I'm trying to say is some, I feel like some people go through birth kicking and screaming and it transforms them whether they like it or not. And then some people completely welcome the experience. So in your Mm -hmm. mind, what are those, you know, tell me about the transitional experience. I think that it comes down to the team who you have with you, your mindset going in. And when, um, here's the thing is that women and I said this to you before, when we talked before, that women often see themselves as not being enough, mm-hmm. right? You're not smart enough, you're not thin enough, you're not fit enough, you're not nice enough, all this stuff that society tells you. But then when you grow a human and you go through labor and delivery, sometimes they still don't think they're enough. Yeah. Which blows my mind because I'm like, hello, you grew a human, you birthed a human, how can that possibly not be enough? And I think that the, through the labor process, they start to get, and as the birth support group, we have to feed her those things so she starts to think that she's enough. So that when she takes that baby home and is learning to breastfeed that baby, that she feels like she's enough to do it. Right? Yeah. And so you watch a family go through that, and you see how she actually starts to buy in to, okay. Maybe I am enough, and then I can do this. And she will carry that through, hopefully, the rest of her freaking life. Mm-hmm. Right? Transforming. Uh, and it's not difficult. It's just being supportive of this family. Right? So watching them transition and transform by just telling her that she can and she is enough to accomplish this, I'd say it was probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So what are some of the destructive things that we do in our culture to perpetuate this? Uh, Everything. (laughs) Okay. I mean, well, think about it. Like you think about all of the things, especially when it comes to labor and delivery, like this is how you should have a baby. And if you have a baby this way, you're not as much as a woman as if you had a baby this way. Oh, yeah, totally. If you had uh, like C-section, stillbirth. South end or sunroof, man, that's the way it is. But some women who have a C-section are slagged by all of their friends because, oh, you could do it, right? 
Um, and then if you have medication during your labor, some women get shit for that because they're like, oh, you weren't tough enough to do that. Why do we do that? Why I don't do know. Man. Do I don't understand. No, no, no. Why do we fix it? Tell me, ex- explain to me why we do that. Listen, I'm trying. I am trying, but I'm only <laughs> <guess>. one dude. <laughs> we just need more dudes in the field to mansplain it to us. No, it's not. No, it's but it's so, just, it's, uh, it's, but it's perpetuated every single day and not just in labor delivery. It's perpetuated in every single way in advertising and everything. You females are just told that you're not enough. So you need this. Mm-hmm. I mean, Guys are told that too, but I think we just don't give a shit half the time, <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't know. But it's unfortunate because especially when it comes to labor and delivery and breastfeeding or feeding in general, there should be no judgment. Yeah. Because it's a family's choice how they get that baby out and how they feed that baby, period. It's nobody else's business. No. Nope. I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. All I do is work, do my thing with my clients, work with them, and hopefully they take little nuggets of it and go forward. Because I know, you know what it's like. When you're pregnant, everybody tells you all the bullshit. Oh, I did this. And, oh, you should do this because it worked for me. Well, I'm not you. Exactly. And even between multiple births in the same, from the same person, every birth is completely different. It's, it's a whole different animal. I mean... There is advantages to having the path already laid. Yeah. But it's still a different show every time. Every time. I, I, I hear a lot of women say, oh, but my next baby, it's almost like they long for the next labor where, where they will get it right. I hear that a lot. Which, how can you not get it right if you grew a human and you birthed a human? Yeah. How is that? Like, I don't know. That, I can't even compute that. I can't think of anything else in our life where where we say, well, that's enough. Maybe, oh, I made dinner last night. Now I can make dinner this night and it, it can be different and it's totally okay. I mean, like I don't, we don't, we don't say, oh, well, I screwed up on my last job. My next job will be better. Or this time, this, this time when I get a partner, I won't let him <laughs> do this to me or whatever, but it's just, I know, but don't it doesn't say that about anything else in our life. It doesn't make any sense to me. And the only thing that I could do is just reinforce that, like when we're at a, let's say I'm at a house. I was at a house the other day, or on Monday, whatever day it was, I don't know. And we were at the house, we labored for a while, and it was time to go to the hospital. And before we left, I said two things. I said to the both of them, I said, we're leaving to go have a baby. You're leaving this house as two, and you're coming home as three. Just so that they remember why the hell they're going through all this bullshit. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at her and I grabbed her by the shoulders and looked her square in the face. And I said, you are what? And she said, I am enough. And I was like, let's go. (laughs) I am enough. I've heard um, something that a local midwife says. the, The contraction or the surge can't break you because it is you. Right. Which means you are, you are enough. There's no way that this surge can kill you because it is you. And you are actually more than enough because you are going to mitigate and control this and get on top of it and you're going to do your thing. So let's go. You use the word control. Mm. That, 
that that there is no control in this and that's part of the feeling like we're not enough because we can't control it we can't like make it go our way we can't especially we have a beautiful birth plan and then uh, the interventions start coming and the listen a birth plan is a piece of paper the birth plan the most important thing about the birth plan is the conversation that actually came to make it because then you know what's important that's a good point what is non-negotiable and what's bullshit that's a really good point Mm -hmm. and all of those things like you could make a plan but you also have to realize that that is not what's going to happen most of the time but you have to be okay with it yeah because at the end of the day mom's good baby's good partner's good job done well how do you define good not traumatized okay I just wanted to make sure <laughs> it didn't mean just healthy because no, no, as we hear not, that all the time. Oh, well, all that matters is that you have a healthy baby. That's not all that matters. Uh, no, that's not all that all that matters. No, mm-hmm. that they're not traumatized and that they felt like they made informed decisions and then yeah. prepared for the postpartum period. That's what I mean by good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, what kind of support do you offer in the postpartum period? All of it. Do you do a <laughs> postpartum doula too? No, I like, I don't know. I'm not like a, certified postpartum doula but mm-hmm. i do typically in non-covid times this is what happens baby comes out i stay for at least a couple hours afterwards until uh the baby's latched a couple of times mom is either thawed out in the recovery room from a c-section or they are ready to go up to their other room and they're they're relatively okay i leave let them have time to see them you know meet their human mm-hmm. and then i go back within that same 12-hour period to check in on them to make sure that they're okay. Uh, During COVID times, it's a phone call or text message or FaceTime. And then for the week after, for the two weeks after, for the six weeks after, whenever, I'm there in contact with them every day, daily updates. If they need a face-to-face, I make it happen. I will pop in, check a latch, check mental health, and then do something, you know, go off to do what I was doing, but I'm in constant contact with them all the time. And what I tell them is, and then like, we also have like pre-booked like hour to two hour postpartum visits where we debrief from the birth. Most of the questions are answered through there. And then it's all about baby feeding and recovery and logistical things and all those types of things. So I think the debrief is so cool to do with your doula. Because you don't you don't remember how things were from no. an outside perspective at all. No, and I mark I take notes while we're there, and I write on my arm, uh, and I write in a notebook so that everything is like and like when you peed last, when an intervention was in, when you first said I got pressure in my bum, when you first said I feel sick, when you first said I don't want to do this anymore, like I. <laughs> All of those things, and then we debrief. I use that to debrief them afterwards, which I feel takes the birthday from something that was abstract to okay, this is actually the facts of what actually happened. That's really and then cool. they can sort of reconcile what happened, especially mm-hmm. if things didn't go according to their quote unquote plan, right? And then they can move on. Okay, next chapter is feeding, recovery. So, yeah. let's go. Yeah. So putting it into perspective and um, because the partner is 
emotionally wrapped up in the whole thing too. Usually the providers moved on to the next client. It's not there really so much for the debriefing. So the doula can do so much good in helping the mom process yes. what happened. Yeah. Even if it's a perfect, like there's no trauma, there's still processing that happens when you have oh, yeah. the most mind-blowing, awesome day of your life. You still have to process it. <laughs> Oh yeah, and uh, you have to process that over time. Like you have to allow yourself to have time because let's like after the baby comes out, that's really when the real work starts because you're overtired, you're trying to breastfeed or bottle feed or do whatever you're going to do, and you don't have time to process. Yeah. But in order to pro, you have to have a little bit of time. And all of my clients get the same deal. I am your doula until you tell me I am not. So, I you know I have contact with clients that I had seven years ago. Something comes up, they have a question, they talk to me. That's really cool. Right? And it's not, I don't ever discharge a client. I think that's so important. Um, I know there's a lot of discussion about boundaries in the birth world. I know a lot of my friends that are professional birth workers, midwives, doulas, and they feel like some clients just like drag on them. But what they, I think this is my own thing. I'm asking you to see if you agree with this, but when you're in the whole birth, the throes of birth, you are bonding ferociously. You, you're mm -hmm. bonding to your baby, you're bonding to your partner, and because of proximity, you also bond to your birth workers. Yep. And for them to cast you aside, not that they don't love you and they don't care about you, but they were paid help. They can move on to the next client. They have their own lives. It can be like really, like just, just really feel scary to have like who you bond with just completely drop out of your life. So the fact that you say you don't discharge them, they get to, they get to pick on their own terms when they're ready to excuse you from their life. Yeah. And I tell them that's huge. There's going to be times when you don't need me, which is perfect. Cause that means that I've done my job and you're launched and you're good to go. Right. Mm -hmm. But know that if you reach out, I will reach back no matter how much time's gone by. Yeah. Cause you're still my doula client and tell me, you tell me otherwise. Yeah. I call my babies. The babies that are mine, <laughs> the ones that I witnessed their birth, I'm very close to their mothers, but also those babies. Yeah, that bond doesn't go away just because it, I'm paid help, for me at least. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, here's the, the other thing, is that the baby is not my client. Mm -hmm. The parents are my client. The baby is great, and we, I will be there to help make sure that this baby thrives and all of those things. Right. But I need to make sure that the people who are taking care of that baby are okay. Yep. Right? That's true. And mm -hmm. if it takes more time, it takes more time. Okay. So we were talking about uh, the bond. Okay. Um, yeah. And discharging clients and things like that. But I don't – I mean, it just – there's a natural evolution of if you've done your job as a doula, then they are not going to require your services anymore. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that, that my next question was boundaries. Do you ever have clients that just are struggle with boundaries and how do you? Uh, not really, but if, I mean, I've had a couple times where there's been a little bit of like, okay, I have to tell them like straight up, you need to figure this shit out on your own because I can't live with you. I can't do those things, right? Because I am a husband, father, massage therapist and doula. The massage therapist doula is the things of the end. Mm -hmm. I have a life that I have to lead. And I have, I, I'm a regular guy. I just happen to be a doula as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so I tell them all the time, like, okay, there's been a couple times I've had to say, okay, I've given you the tools and you just have to get proficient at using them. Mm -hmm. 
But if you have a problem, you can absolutely absolutely call me, but you have to learn how to do this on your own. Yeah. And it's never uh, ill-received. And But like I said, clients will still call me. I'll check in with them every once in a while and, you know. Part of me just wonders if that's a gender gap thing. Because I know a lot of my female birth workers have problems with boundaries. And moms have problems with boundaries. I just find it really interesting to hear you talk about your experience. I I have a little bit of an issue with the gender situation. Because it's the intention of the doula that matters, not the gender. I know, but sometimes... That's just my perspective because I'm not... I know it. So, so do you think there should be more man do, male doulas? Yeah, doulas? of course. <laughs> I, I think there should be absolutely. I don't know. Like, I understand it's not a job that most, like, mo- a lot of my friends were like, man, I had to be there. I don't know why the hell you're going there voluntarily. <laughs> voluntarily. Um, but well, but you're not be. going as the partner either. There's a completely different role. Right. I'm not yeah. going there as the partner. Yeah. But I mean, I think that there should be. There's room. So when are you starting your training program? <laughs> I don't have time for that, man. Holy <laughs> you don't have time for that, right? I don't have time for a training program. There's listen. I don't, there's no difference in the training. Yeah, Go, no, I know. Be, I know it's just the mindset. Do you you don't think at all that you're male press? I know you say it's not a gender thing, but the things you're saying, I could not hear coming out of another a female birth worker's mouth. You're just. Of course, there's gray on either side, you know, there, or, sorry, mm-hmm. there's gray in the middle, like there's very, very feminine, there's very, very masculine, and there's in the middle where it's kind of not clear, but you are definitely very masculine. So do you think that your presence doesn't like change the way the birth goes? Does the doctor feel like, it, you know, does anybody just watch their behavior more because you're there, you're bigger, you're... I don't think, I hope not. I, am, I have the ability... Uh, even though I'm like a 200 pound black man to be a wallflower if I need to be. Okay. Like I, uh, and I'm not there to do anybody else's job, but my own. Yeah. Right. I'm there to be nice to the nurses because they're doing a damn good job. Yep. They know I have a job to do. I don't interfere with their job. And the doctors are in and out for like lickety split most of the time anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they, I've been around, so they know, and they say, hi, Kelly, nice to see you again, and that's it, right? They know you there, so you're, you're kind of Right, I'm a, no- yeah. I'm a known quantity, and <laughs> I don't know, like, I think that more men c- can do it if they want yeah. to. It's just a matter of if they want to. I just see, like, I just think that if there were more male doulas, it really would shift some of the cultural baggage faster some of the industry issues if we it would just i don't know be more fair but is that on uh is that not on the rest of the doula community to deal with why would it be why would it have to be no no not not that the male doulas would be responsible it's just that you add a different flavor to the room. I mean, I'll just say like as a filmmaker, I add a different flavor because that um, I've had my footage asked to review to see, you know, if the midwife screwed up, if the somebody screwed up and having oh. a filmmaker in the room changes the flavor of the birth. Cause, and I've always said like, there's one super dangerous midwife um, 
And I said, oh man, I want to be called to her birth because there's no way she can hurt the client if I'm there because I'm, I have that camera running. So I'm just wondering like even, so I'm a female, so not even gender, but just, but having you be in the room, it's a, it's a different flavor than normally. You would yeah, expect. I guess it would be a little bit different of flavor, but it's still the way I see it is that I just do my job. I don't give a shit about anything else. I do my job because that is what my clients are paying me to do. And that is what is best for them. So I don't know if that mentality is not the same with no, other duelists. Yeah. <laughs> but I also don't really give a shit if yeah. it isn't. Yeah. Right? And it, I know it sounds like I'm a hard ass, but I am a little bit of a hard ass. But like, I do my job consistently and reliably. And that's how I get to continue to do it. And there's no other way. Yep. And if you're training to be a doula, follow Kelly's example. Do it, like, do it this way. <laughs> if you want to be a doula, just go do it. Right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to, if you think that it's there's no place for you, you're never going to actually know until you get trained and you go do it. So what's the holdup? I love it. I love it. Thank you for letting me pummel you with awkward questions. I mean, these are not awkward questions. These are softballs now. Come on. Oh, what could I have asked you then? <laughs> Nothing. I'm just joking. <laughs> no, you said I could ask anything, but it's just yeah. we live in this really kind of divisive time where we're fighting over masks and we're fighting over like these crazy things. And and to be able to to interview a male doula and know that I can literally ask anything. I mean, I just never have had the opportunity to talk to somebody like this that's so outside what you would normally see as a doula. And I just- But aren't there male doulas in your area? Uh-uh. You are the only one. After I found you on social media about a year ago, I started looking and I haven't I haven't found- I've, I've found a couple of male midwives. Yeah. Yep. So- I know there's a couple in the States. Male doulas. Yeah. But I, but I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I don't really care what anybody else does. I just try to do my thing and do it consistently every time, and I'll just keep be able to do it, hopefully. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. Wow. Well, so do you have um social media? People can find you? Nope. No? <laughs> oh, that's right. You said you don't have any social media. Don't believe in it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't believe in social media at all. Uh, no, if people want to contact me or find me, they can just go to evolutionmassage.ca. Very cool. Very cool. And if you've got, um, if you're thinking about becoming a male, male doula, you're saying go for it. Would you ever become Absolutely. a midwife? I will tell you right now, if there was a midwifery school here, I would go in a heartbeat. Yeah? I would. That would be amazing. But uh, there isn't. So what well, am I there's, going to do? There's the online classes. Yeah, I know. And then I'd have to do distance and I'd have to be away from my family. Like That's my family true. comes first. So, yep. you know, if there was a school here locally, I would try to get in like yesterday. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, w when you write your book or when you make, when they make a documentary about your life, I am the front seat first purchase. for. <laughs> Nobody wants to make a documentary about what I do. Um. You just told me, you just gave the universe a bet. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is that this is challenge accepted. Is that I don't really think that what I do is that extraordinary. Other people think it's interesting because it's a little outside of the box, which box, which is fine. But I still don't think 
that it's that big of a deal. No, what you are doing is not, you know, being respectful, being, being supportive, all that stuff. That's not, that's not out of the box. The fact that you've really don't care about what, what people think of you. The fact that you are going in, in a, in a role that's not usually seen. Like, I mean, it's not even the same as a female mathematician back in the, you know, seventies or sixties, because that, yeah, we're crossing gender roles, what's expected, but you're the, the birth is, there's been such a pushback to make it an all female affair, you know, obese, mm-hmm. obese men ruled the birth world for so, for so long. And now there's been this pushback. So now you're coming back into the birth space and it's like, whoa, what's he doing? But you're doing it in a very healthy way. And we wish all OBs and midwives could behave this way, I guess, is what I wish. And I think it's about their intention. And if they really, there's no other way to do it unless you're caring about the families. Like, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Right? So you just have to do right by the people that you're working for and with, and everything should be fine. Yeah. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. Just do right by the people you're serving. Right. And it's not complicated. Right. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. No problem. <laughs> so interesting. So, so fascinating. Um, so again, evolutionmassage.ca because he's up in Canada. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you. Thank you. No problem. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience.